What comes next for the Baltimore Ravens and J.K. Dobbins after a season-ending Achilles injury? We talk about that and so much more coming up next here on Locked on Ravens. You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Ravens. We're your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast here. I'm your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravenswire, here with you as always on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for being here and making Locked On Ravens your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all podcasting platforms. That includes over in video form on YouTube. Today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates. You want to talk to you faster, but your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL to push your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're back here on a victory Monday. The Ravens go on 1-0. They beat the Houston Texans 25-9 in their week one showdown. Although I don't think it feels like a normal victory Monday for a couple of reasons. It feels like more. it's a sad victory Monday because obviously the Ravens won. That's great. They're 1-0. But it came at a pretty big cost, as we talked about on the live stream, the post-game is the reaction we did yesterday with a lot of injuries. There was a lot of sloppiness for the Ravens in this game, and I don't think it really went the way people expected in terms of just having everything figured out right away. So yeah, there's so much to talk about, but I think the big news of what happened on Sunday was not the Ravens win. I think you know the win gets overshadowed by J.K. Dobbins and his Achilles injury. He's done for the season. It was confirmed by John Harbaugh. We'll talk about just what comes next for the Ravens and J.K. Dobbins. It's such a terrible topic, and I feel so bad for J.K., first of all. We're going to talk because there there is a bunch of fallout from this, both this season and for the future of the Ravens, whether with or without Dobbins, and then Dobbins' NFL career and his future, his future with the Ravens. So we'll get into all that in the first part of the show. Then we'll just go back and recap the game. We'll recap what happened in the Ravens and Texans game, what the Ravens did well, what they didn't do, and then we'll get into big takeaways in the final part of the show, both team-wise, roster-wise, execution-wise, injury-wise. So we'll do all that in the final part of the show. We are a five-day-week Ravens podcast, though, so thank you so much, whether you're in every day or you're, it's the first time in, if you're somewhere in the middle, Thank you so much for being here. We also, if you didn't know, we started up a new form of content called Subtext. And just to describe a little about what it is, it's pretty much an exclusive insider group where I'll put exclusive content out there, text updates, text, you know, Ravens analysis on there. It's pretty much one-on-one conversation because sometimes on Twitter I'll, I'll post something and I can't get to all the responses or I just don't see them because it can get crazy on there sometimes. So this gives me more of an opportunity to interact with the listener, with the viewers of, of the show. And it's been really fun so far. We already have a group of subscribers and I've been interacting with them. They've been interacting back. It's, it's been awesome. So if you want to subscribe to that, it'll be in the link. The, the link will be in the description below. You can subscribe to that. It's another way to support me and support my work. And I really appreciate everybody who subscribes to that and subscribes here on Locked on Ravens audio form or video form. But let's get into the J.K. Dobbins situation. So kind of how it went down was that the Ravens ended up, you know, playing Dobbins and he was, it looked like he was the guy. He he ended up not really seeding a lot of touches early on. And I think that was what it should have been. But then the Ravens end up pretty much the worst happens and 
Dobbins catches a ball. He's going for the end zone after already scoring the Ravens' first touchdown of the season, and he gets tackled. It was a pretty routine play, but it looked like, you know, I, I looked really, really close. I still couldn't see exactly, but it looked like you can see maybe a slight pop in the Achilles when he plants and is getting tackled. And I think the tackle, the defender was like getting, it was on him and it might've put too much weight on it. So Dobbins gets up slowly. And I noticed this when it happened live, he, he started like shimmying towards the sideline, like not really walking very well. And so obviously, all right, he's hurt. Right. And then he needs two trainers to get up. He's, he's walking on it, but he has his arms around both trainers. And then the Ravens report it's an ankle injury so, you know, at that point, I'm thinking, all right, it's maybe just a sprain. He got his in because it looked like he got his leg like rolled up on a little bit. Then Ian Rappaport says that it's an Achilles injury. And those those injuries can be determined pretty quickly. A, a in-person test is pretty accurate with those. And then John Harbaugh confirms it. It's the worst case scenario for J.K. Dobbins. Again, I just feel so terribly for him. A stat I put out on Twitter yesterday was that J.K. Dobbins never missed a game at Ohio State. Never missed one in three years playing for the Buckeyes. Had an injury in, in college right at the end of the bowl game for them, 2019 against Clemson. Also had an injury in high school, but had never missed a game for Ohio State in those three seasons. In four years with the Ravens, he's on pace now to miss 43 total games. That is just brutal injury luck. It's horrible for a guy that pretty much had very minimal injury in his high school and college career and never missed a game in college to miss 43 games in four seasons. That's that's brutal, especially for a guy who is so competitive, who loves the game so much. So in terms of what comes next now, well, for this season, Dobbins doesn't play again. And the Ravens have to rely on Gus Edwards, Justice Hill. They're reportedly going to call up Melvin Gordon from the practice squad. And then Keaton Mitchell, once he's back, will factor into that equation. I've seen some stuff about will the Ravens go out and sign Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt. I, I Fournette. If that was the guy they'd sign, I think that would be it. I don't think they're going to touch Kareem Hunt with all the stuff that he's had off the field. I just don't think it goes for what, what they stand for now and in what they've historically done now at, at any position when they're bringing in guys. I think it would probably be Fournette or some other lower-level running back. But I think, I think honestly, Baltimore feels confident. The running back position is one where I think we talked about it before the season. If one of those guys were to go down, I think a lot of people agreed that all right, there's confidence that they have at least a bit more depth this year overall with a healthy Gus Edwards, healthy Justice Hill, and then Keaton Mitchell and Melvin Gordon. Now, again, is Leonard Fournette better than Melvin Gordon? Yeah, probably, right? But again, if you have that Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, one-two punch, I mean, fine. Like, I'm okay with it overall. But it just Dobbins is your best running back when healthy. It's a big blow to the Ravens offense, but one that I think they can overcome it's, it's just terrible. Now, in terms of what happens after this season for the Ravens and J.K. Dobbins, there was so much conversation, right? It was a whole conversation point for multiple months about just what the Ravens and Dobbins were going to do about this standoff that they had. The Ravens weren't giving Dobbins the money that he wanted. It seemed like Dobbins was not having what the Ravens were offering. So Dobbins held in. It's in that seems like what the storyline was. But the thing with that is I was talking about it where I understand if Dobbins wanted the long-term security and the safety, but if he wanted a contract that maybe fit what he was looking for, he would probably have to have a fully healthy season. And even then it wasn't fully guaranteed that he was going to get that deal. So I, I, I guess JK just should have took the money at this point, but again, hindsight is so 2020, you can't blame him for not doing it. 
I think that he just wanted to protect himself and it's, it's, it is what it is now, but I think with what it means for the Ravens, the question is now is JK Dobbins played his last game in a Ravens uniform. I think a lot of people say he has, but I do think there are pathways for him returning, especially if he truly does feel like he said in his tweets and he said to the media that he loves Baltimore. He wants to be with the Ravens for the rest of his career. And again, does this injury change things for Dobbins? I, I don't know, but the reality is Dobbins is not going to get anywhere near what he's looking for. There's no way. And now the unfortunate conversation becomes as my rule, as I talked about on the stream yesterday, is J.K. Dobbins injury prone? And I think the answer is yes. Three straight seasons of being very injury marred. I know that the one in the middle, you know, he had the cleanup surgery and everything. But at this point, you know, one season, I don't do it. Two seasons, I don't do it. Three straight seasons, then that conversation can be had. And unfortunately, I think that is the conversation for J.K. Dobbins is that I don't think a team is going to pay him anywhere close to what he's looking for. So the path I could see him returning to the Ravens is if he wants a one-year prove-it deal or a two- or three-year deal with lower money but incentive-based, maybe that could be what happens. So I think there are pathways. But if he's going to look for that big money running back contract, which, again, I do not think he's going to get, I don't think it's going to be in Baltimore. I think Baltimore can take a running back in the draft next season. And that's just the way the position is right now. And it's kind of what the whole situation with Dobbins and other running backs throughout the league was. But now with this injury, essentially Dobbins has lost any and all leverage that he had. And he's going to have to settle for probably a one-year prove-it deal or a much lesser deal on a two-year, I don't even know what it would be, two years, $10 million for J.K. Dobbins. I'd take that if I were the Ravens. $5 million per season with incentives in there, I think, would be realistic for the Ravens. And I know Dobbins wouldn't be happy with it, but it might just have to be what it is for a guy that has so much potential and just has been injured for three straight seasons. And it's, it's so terrible. It's, it's, I can't even really put words on it right now because I, I feel so bad. And it's just, I never thought I, I injuries happen, but I never thought it would happen. So it, it's unfortunate that it happened to JK. I feel bad. My prayers are obviously out there for him. And I hope he's able to have a speedy recovery and, and fight this thing off. I know it must be super hard for him, obviously physically, but also mentally. So I'm thinking of him and I'm hoping it works out for JK Dobbins. And I hope, I hope he does come back to Baltimore, maybe on a lesser deal. And I, I, I hope he ends up having a really good NFL career after this, because I know it's very hard to come back from injuries like this, especially three straight seasons of going through it. So in terms of what's next, yeah, I think that obviously we know that Dobbins is not going to play again this year. It's probably likely he's played his last snap with the Ravens, but not impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible. It could definitely still happen. Coming up in the second part of the show, we'll be diving in to the Ravens and Texans game, talking about a recap of that. So be sure to stay tuned. Lots to get to in Lockdown Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why I have to share out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. And there have been so many positive experiences. I've had positive experiences. People I know have had positive experiences with LinkedIn. Whether it is hiring for a job or a position or even getting a job, LinkedIn can help you do that. And it's really easy to create a free job post over on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job with a pro hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools you can use, like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. You can quickly prioritize who would like to interview and who would like to hire. And it's really important to both start and end the year strong. And the right team member might really help you do that. That's why small businesses are right leading jobs number one delivering quality hires. We're sending competitors, lending jobs to find the qualified candidates you want to talk to fast about your job for free. LinkedIn.com slash lockdown NFL. LinkedIn.com slash lockdown NFL to push your job for free terms and conditions apply. 
We're back here, our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allstriker still here with you on this Victory Monday. It was a crazy Sunday across the NFL. Definitely a crazy Sunday for me. I think this is my seventh recording of the day slash night. <laughs> so had a couple of shorts. I did obviously the live stream yesterday, and then I ended up doing, I, I host the Monday edition of Locked On NFL, so I recorded for that. And then I actually, I'm, I'm live streaming on Bleacher Report today at 10 a.m. Eastern. So if you want to come through for that, we'll be doing player grades. And obviously this show today, 6 a.m. Is, is when this one is. But let's do a Ravens and Texans recap. The Ravens do go one to know, and obviously we'll get to the injuries, both in this segment and in the final takeaway segment. But Lamar Jackson in this game, 17 to 22, 169 yards with one interception, also added six carries for 38 yards on the ground. Jackson, you know, there, there was some sloppiness, but I think he also made a couple of really nice throws. The one to Odell Beckham where Odell tracked that ball literally right into the breadbasket was a perfectly placed ball by Lamar. That was one of his good ones. But then he had a couple of really weird ones. Like the, the interception was a forced throw. That was one he should not have thrown. That was a poor decision by him. And there was one, it was a, it was a short, it was either the Rashad Bateman or Odell. It was a pass interference that was drawn on. It might have been, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was, Lamar threw it like, three or four yards short. I think it was Odell. I think it was Odell. And then Odell kind of flopped and got the pass interference penalty. So he had a couple of weird ones, but I mean, again, it's, it's rusty. Lamar did look rusty. He tweeted after the game, <laughs> he was rusty, but again, he has the support of his teammates as Patrick queen ended up tweeting out. And by the way, back to JK Lamar, Patrick queen, everybody was sending love and prayers to JK. And I think, doing the same for Lamar in terms of Patrick Queen saying, you know what, that's why we're a team. So it's really cool to see the Ravens have that camaraderie, especially now is they're still figuring things out. And that's really what it was, which we'll talk about a little more in the final segment too, but you're just figuring things out right now. Week one for every team has some level of sloppiness. Now for the Ravens, it was a, it was a little more sloppy than I would have probably liked it to be, but <laughs> they, they got the win. So I guess no harm, no foul. Mark Andrews also didn't play in this game. So that in itself is a pretty big loss, but I think overall what you saw from this Ravens offense were a few growing pains, but also a few positives to take away. For one, I think that Lamar's had his moments and we saw Lamar being shifty, escaping the pocket, but with that came a couple of poor moments from him. Plus the reason he was trying to be all shifty sometimes was because the fact that the offensive line had a pretty rough first half. They got it together a little bit, as the second half went on, but Morgan Moses definitely had his struggles and John Simpson got beat on a couple of plays. Ronnie Stanley even had his struggles as well, which we'll get to Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum in a couple minutes. But it, it was rough at times because the Texans were getting pressure with four, with five, and then the Ravens couldn't do that against a pretty beat up Texans offensive line and a rookie quarterback. They were missing sacks out there. It was just, it wasn't just the offense. It was a sloppy all around effort. And I'm sure, you know, John Harbaugh said we have a lot to work on. And yes, the Ravens do have a lot to work on in this one. Running the ball, the Ravens, Lamar, I mentioned, led the team six carries for 38 yards. Gus Edwards had eight for 32. J.K. Dobbins, eight for 22. Justice Hill, eight for nine. And Zay Flowers, two for nine. Uh, it was it was a fine day. I mean, 3.4 yards per carry. I mean, it wasn't a great running game for the Ravens. And the Texans run defense was not necessarily great last year. So it's a little concerning, but I, I'm not reading too much into this they had a couple of nice long runs but again 1.1 yards per carry for for justice hill 
2.8 for JK, four for Gus Edwards. And I, I'm not counting, well, you know, for, for guys like Lamar and Zay Flowers, I'm only doing running back stats right now. Obviously, Lamar's a quarterback and Zay's a wide receiver. So for 2.8 and 1.1, you'd like to see a little bit better out of that, especially against the Texans, who, again, I just mentioned, were not a strong run defense last season. So hopefully that gets a little better. Receiving-wise, Zay Flowers was just incredible. Nine for 78 on 10 targets. He had four less. He actually had more total yards than Joe Burrow. Four, four less receiving yards than Joe Burrow had passing yards. So Zay was all over the place. I think some of the touches to Zay were a little forced. I don't necessarily think Zay needs – I mentioned this. I don't think he needs gadgety touches. Like, I think he's so good with his routes anyway that you don't, you don't have to scheme up touches for flowers he just does it and we saw him juke out multiple players add more guys to his ankle collection like it's just all over the place they is making plays and it's fine if you scheme up a couple of touches for him but I, I think it was it was a little much from Todd Munkin in that area Odell Beckham two for 37 a couple of big pass interference calls for him that he drew Rashad Bateman three for 35 J.K. Dobbins two for 15 Isaiah likely one for four so the Ravens ended up throwing the ball 22 times compared to running it 32 times. So still a run heavy script, but the difference in this one was the Ravens were running more up tempo. They were getting to the line quicker and they were rolling with the things that were working when they found it. And I think the big thing is Todd Munkin made adjustments. Like he made halftime adjustments where the Ravens were only up seven to six at halftime. The Ravens couldn't find a lot on offense. They were struggling to generate consistent momentum and Baltimore finally got it going in the second half because Todd Monk had made the adjustment and, and was able to tell his offense, all right, well, this is what I'm seeing. This is what we're going to do to change that and go. He, he went away from the game script and did stuff. The He did things that were given to him, which I think we did not see enough in the Greg Roman era. Roquan Smith ended up having 16 total tackles in this game. I think that's a Ravens franchise record for week one. I think Ray Lewis had a high of 14. Brandon Stevens, 12 tackles. Patrick Queen, 11. Ronald Darby had seven. I was super impressed by both Patrick Queen and Ronald Darby. Darius Washington as well, super impressed with two. Marcus Williams had four. David Ajabo, strip sack on CJ Stroudy in four games for David, or excuse me, three games for David Ajabo. He has Four, four tackles, two sacks, and two forced fumbles in, four, in three career games. That's a, it's a crazy to think about. Dafe Owe had three. Kyle Hamilton, Michael Pierce. I thought Justin Matibiki played really well, too. So plenty of positive takeaways for the Ravens. Again, negative-wise, I think the pass defense did show some holes overall. I thought the run defense was fine overall. They had the Texans at 3.1 yards per carry, which was fine. Damian Pierce, 11 carries for 38 yards, 3.5 yards per carry for their leading ball carrier. So I'm fine with that. Devin Singletary, their backup, had 7 for 15, so that's 2.1. But I will say that the sloppiness penalty-wise was unreal. It, it was ridiculous. 13 penalties for the Ravens, 106 yards. Not like the Texans didn't have any either, 9 for 88 for them. But the Ravens have to clean that up. I think that there is just – there's something to saying the Ravens played the Texans – in week one, I don't think this performance would have gotten them a win against decent amount of teams. Like maybe it would have gotten them close wins against a few, but because it was the Texans, a first year head coach, a first year quarterback, I think the Ravens, they lucked out a little bit by playing Houston. And that, that becomes a conversation of, well, the Ravens didn't play their starters in the preseason game was a tune up anyway, this, that, and the other. But I think the fact that they did play the Texans did help them out a little bit. I'm not trying to say the Texans are this terrible, horrible football team, but 
they, they need they need a couple of years to build what they're building. And I think they have potential, but this year just isn't their year. So the, the a wins win, 25 to 9 to win. They're 1 0 at the top of the AFC North with the Cleveland Browns. And in the final part of the show, we'll get into our big takeaways again from this game. Injury wise, we haven't even talked about Marcus Williams and Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum yet. So be sure to stay tuned. Plan to get to you on the show. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now's the best time to join FanDuel, too. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from the spreads, the player props, and more. So if you had the Ravens at minus 9.5, I know it wasn't pretty, but got the job done so congratulations there visit fandor.com slash locked on and kick off the nfl season with an offer you won't want to miss then no official partner of the nfl we're back here our final segment of locked on ravens kevin allshaker still here with you again i appreciate all the support here for whether you're an everyday or if you're a first time listener welcome in here or if you're somewhere in the middle welcome back and again if you want to join the subtext where we uh we we text it's literally a text group where you subscribe you get updates from me it's one-on-one conversations and it's really it's really cool i think it's an awesome thing we're doing here on the show it's more content so we'll have mailbags over there exclusive mailbags so be sure to subscribe it'll be in the description below both video and audio form so be sure to click on it check it out over there big takeaways though i think my biggest takeaway is that the ravens they need to shake the rust off the rust is there it's going to take them a while maybe on the offensive side of the ball to do so because i think the way we talked about the offense all offseason, I kind of tried to temper some expectations. Because look, I'm really excited about the offense. I've been really excited about the offense. I think this is what the Ravens have needed for the last couple of seasons. But there were some things that Todd Munkin did, some play calls that I was questioning a little bit. Uh, there were the penalties, which do need to be cleaned up. And I think the, the forced touches need to stop. But I think that it was at least fine to get it on tape. Like now the Ravens have some stuff that they can go back on regular season wise with the starters teaching tape and it hopefully will work out. They have a big matchup in week two against the Cincinnati Bengals who got embarrassed against the Cleveland Browns on the road. So they're coming home for their first home game in the jungle. The Ravens will travel over there and play them, but it's going to be interesting because one of the other takeaways I had was I kind of talked about in the second part of the show the Ravens' pass defense did struggle, and this is something I've talked about. I, you know, it was made a point was made about it on the stream we had yesterday, where the Ravens will play guys off in weird situations when they just should not be playing off. And it's not like oh they're two yards off and they're not pressed up at the line. It's they're three, four, five yards off, and it just gives receivers so much room. And I do not understand why the Ravens do it. If someone knows, if you can tell me, that'd be awesome. I just don't get it because it gives receivers, especially in like third and four situations. If you're playing five or six yards off in third and four, you just run up, come back, and boom, that's your first down. We saw that multiple times for the Ravens in this game where they were just given a ton of space to receivers. And I know the Ravens are known for their bend, don't break defense. It's what they've been doing for years now. But I don't think they have to bend. Like they they don't have to do that where they get into the – they get, let the opposing offense get into the red zone. So against Cincinnati, who, look, they got embarrassed in week one, but they're a good football team. Joe Burrow is not going to throw for 82 total yards. And I think with Jamar T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd there, you got to be able to defend those guys. But then comes the injury takeaways, which is the Ravens are hated by the injury gods for some reason. Maybe they're paying for it because 2019 was 
a really good year health-wise for them. Maybe Ravens for that had to pay multiple years of brutal injuries for it. And the Ravens didn't even win the Super Bowl off that year, so it wasn't even a good trade. But I don't, I don't know what it is. The Ravens, not even J.K. Well, J.K. is not the only one. It's not even him. It's Marcus Williams, who the reports are feared to be a torn peck but could be more of an AC joint sprain. At the time of this recording, we only know for sure what JK's injury is. I'll give you the updates I have now, but I don't have every single one. So if you're listening to this after those get announced, I, I didn't have them, so I'm sorry. But Marcus Williams, it's either feared to be a torn pec or an AC joint thing. Usually, depending on the severity, it's either two to three weeks for an AC joint sprain. If it's mild, and then if you have the torn pecs, I think it's Four to six for a minor one, six to eight for a mild, and eight to ten for a severe one. Doesn't seem like it's too, too serious. I'd expect him probably back in a month tops, but hopefully, you know, he'll be back as soon as possible. Ronnie Stanley got his leg rolled up on a little bit. It was a knee injury for him, and he was joking around on the sideline, and a couple of sources told Diana Rossini at the Athletic that wasn't overly serious, so that's good for Ronnie Stanley. Hopefully, he's good and maybe would miss a game or two, but wouldn't be anything crazy. And then Tyler Linderbaum, he had an ankle injury. Now he got rolled up on really badly. Like his entire leg got rolled up on. So for the ankle injury that he was reported to have and the Ravens put out there, I'd expect it. I don't know what it would be. We haven't gotten a, an update on Linderbaum, but apparently he was walking around. So hopefully that's a sign that it's not too, too serious. I think also for the Ravens, a couple of takeaways that I had from the game overall is that they are a good defense when it comes to minimizing and taking away a part of the opposing offense. And one of my keys of the game was that the Ravens needed to make the Texans one dimensionals and essentially make CJ Stroud beat them. Well, whenever the Texans ran the ball, I mean, I didn't really, there was no fear in my heart when the Texans ran the ball because Damian Pierce got stuffed. Devin Singletary got stuffed. They weren't doing anything on the ground and that made C.J. Stroud beat them. The Texans had 44 pass attempts compared to 23 rushing attempts, so I thought that it was good that the Ravens tried to make C.J. Stroud beat them, and he could not do it. Now, he had the rookie quarterback jitters, I think, and he ended up missing some throws that he probably should have made and made a couple of decisions he probably shouldn't have made. So, again, that's why I say, well, if it was a more experienced quarterback, what would have happened? But I still think that Baltimore did enough in this game to – say that, yeah, the sky's not falling. And I don't I don't ever want to overreact in week one. I know one way or the other, whether it's, oh, the Ravens are terrible, the Ravens are the best team in football. It can't go either way after one game. You couldn't even do it after the Ravens beat Miami in, in 2019, 59 to 10. And then everyone's like, oh, the Ravens are so good. They're so, you couldn't, you couldn't do that. You know, you have to have, I, my rule is about a month of stuff happening before we can put clear and concise arguments for things actually being real. I think now it's just teams figuring it out. There's some rust still. There will probably be rust for the first month. So my other takeaway is that I'm not going to judge. Like I'm, I'm not going to, well, okay. I'm, I'll say that I'm not going to say that everything is fine and dandy. Like just go, Oh, the Ravens had 13 penalties. That's no big deal. No, it, it is a big deal. <laughs> you you got to figure that out. Oh, the Ravens missed some sacks. That's a big deal because they missed sacks for years and it's ridiculous. They're still missing sacks. There are some things they have to clean up. But just because it happened in this game does not mean that they will never be able to fix it for the entirety of this season. Now, for the sacks, hopefully, because, again, it's been years. But I was encouraged by what I saw in some aspects. Other aspects, 
definitely need some cleaning up. But the Ravens have a big test week two against Cincinnati. We'll be covering that, obviously, throughout the course of the week leading up to Sunday's big divisional matchup. I appreciate everybody for tuning in to Locked on Ravens today. Thank you so much for your support. As always, be sure to like this video on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, also subscribe anywhere you get your podcast and audio form. It's the same show, both audio and video form. When we get back here tomorrow, more Ravens content from us. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I'll see you right back here tomorrow on Locked on Ravens.